Hello and welcome to this episode of the Tennis Fanalyst podcast. Today presented by myself, Michael Gillett, and as always, joining me is Marcus Ali. Marcus, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. There's been a, quite a lot of news for, for a change in the tennis world this week. I'm just looking forward to getting it all out there in the pod. Yeah, definitely uh, a few things to talk through today. So we're going to start with the main news of the week. And uh, the biggest story uh, from the week is that Nick Kyrgios has withdrawn from the US Open. Uh, this comes obviously following the, the COVID-19 situation. Um, he joins uh, his fellow Australian, Ash Barty, who is the women's world number one. Um, she also is is skipping the tournament. Um, I'll just read a few of the comments that he made. Um, he said, let's take a breath here and remember what's important, which is health and safety as, as a community. We can rebuild our sport and the economy, but we'll never recover the lives lost. It hurts me to my core not to be out there competing on one of the sport's greatest stadiums, the Arthur Ashe Stadium, but I'm sitting out for the people, for my Aussies and for the thousands and thousands of people that have died in America. Um, so really powerful words in Nick Kyrgios' video uh, announcing that he's not going to be playing at the uh, US Open. Marcus, what, what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, obviously, I'm disappointed that he's not going to be playing, um, just from the, from the viewer perspective. We all love watching Kyrgios, Kyrgios play when he, when he's uh, when he's in a good mood, especially anyway. But um, I have to say, it wasn't too much of a surprise. I mean, the way sort of Kyrgios spoke at um, I can't remember whether it was eighty ATP Cup or towards the Australian Open when there was all the bushfires in Australia. You, like you could tell it was it was really affecting him, um, and that obviously happened in, in his own country. So. It doesn't surprise me that he feels so aware and um, like he has to use his platform in the right way when it, when it comes to something like this. Um, and, you know, it's a good message that he's put across. Um, he, you know, he hasn't sort of uh, accused the tournament organisers or said uh, the tour's trying to come back too early. So, you know, it's an overall feeling of disappointment just as a tennis fan. But, you know, I respect his views and I respect his reasons why He's not going to play, and you know I don't think we're ever going to dig someone out that's, that says they're 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 not going to play due to due to fears of, of COVID. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Um, he did stress in his video that he doesn't have a problem with other players playing it. He said that it's completely down to you, and and he's just taking his own decision. And, and as you say, I don't think we can criticise anyone for their own decision because everyone comes from different countries with different situations at the moment and has very different feelings and views around this and, and Nick has been very vocal throughout the pandemic uh, especially towards sort of, the Adria tour he was very vocal on sort of the mistakes that they made there um, so yeah I like you say I don't think it's a massive surprise I'll miss him playing um, it's not his best grand slam you know he's, he's never been past the third round at the, Austra uh, the US Open so in terms of that you know maybe we're not missing a potential really far run because he hasn't hasn't done that before at the US Open. But um yeah, of course we'll all miss him. Um he's he definitely gets people turning on their TVs and, and watching watching the tennis. Um just going on from this, obviously he he and Ash Barty, both from Australia, have both said that they're pulling out. Um John Millman, however, who is 
another big Australian player. We spoke about him a couple of weeks ago on the pod. Uh, he has announced that he will be playing. He he was asked if he's going to follow his his compatriots, and um, he said that he he's going to play because he needs uh, the money. Uh, so that's obviously a another thing with thinking about whether you're returning, you know, you've got to think about all of the risks around COVID, but you've also got to think about the money these players haven't been earning as much as they normally would and and some might financially really need it. So um, that's the the news on John Millman. Um, Andy Murray has made some more comments this week about the US Open um, and he has actually quite explicitly said that he is willing to take the risk uh, of playing the US Open, he said the situation I've been in the last few years, I've not had a lot of opportunities to play Grand Slams and I don't know how many I have left. Uh, what's your reaction, Marcus? Um, well, just initially from um, the point of John Millman saying saying that he's he's going to play because he needs some money, I mean, I completely understand that. Um, like looking across all of the lots of exhibition tournaments that we've seen, in recent weeks, like Bet One Aces, Battle of the Brits, there's there's just been loads. Like there's been some in France, Germany, pretty much every week, and it sort of looks like that. It it is um, those lower ranked players, sort of in and around the top 100, 100 to one fifty to two hundred, that have been playing, and it just strikes me that they are the players that are sort of playing for that for their livelihoods rather than um, rather than say, well, financially needing to. And of course, John Millman has been a player in his career who has sort of dipped in and out of there. Um, you know, he, he has played challenges quite a lot and uh, had had these runs where he surges in, into the top 100. Um, so you know, that doesn't surprise me that that's one of the reasons that he's going to go for it. I mean, you'd hope that isn't sort of one of the ideas that is motivating all of the players because you'd hope that they think they're going to be safe before they actually make that decision. Um, and then just moving on to Murray, yeah, I mean, if he, if his body feeling good, um, then he really should take this opportunity because of all the heartbreak he's he's had in the last few years due to his due to his niggling injuries. Um, so yeah, hopefully, you know, we can see Murray at full force. I mean, he's not going to be exactly back to his best, but uh, playing with hundred percent intensity that he can at the moment. Obviously, um, thirty four years old now. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just still genuinely looking forward to it a lot, um, and having Andy Murray there just, just adds to it. It's some, definitely something that's been missing out of Slams in the last few years. Yeah, completely agree. I'm um, just going back to John Millman actually, as you were chatting, just remembered, of course, um, another reason why he, he probably really does want to play is he has had some really good memories at the past in the US Open. He beat Roger Federer, I, I want to say 2017, could be slightly out there by a year um, and I don't think at this point Millman was ranked inside the top 50 and he, he gave Federer a massive upset in the US so I guess he probably has a, a really good sort of emotional connection to that tournament so missing it would would be really hard for him um, and yeah just on Andy Murray um, we, we've obviously the break we've had you know everyone's had time out and uh, has been playing these exhibition tournaments including Andy Murray do you think the situation that we've got in the US Open, do you think this opens it up for Murray a little bit? I'm not I'm not suggesting this early that I think he can win it, but you know, we saw him come back to the sport last year and he won the European Open, um, beating David Goffin in the final, I think. Really good wins there. 
we know that he has got it in his locker to come back and play really good. Do you think we could see him go far in the draw? Uh, well, I'd have to hesitate to make make a call like that without really seeing him play properly. I mean, maybe after Cincinnati we can talk about something like that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But yeah, I, I do think that the circumstances will make it a bit more of a level playing field. You know, sort of Murray playing a tournament a month, nursing an injury coming in and say, playing, I don't know, as Verev or a pass in the fourth round due to his ranking, who's used to playing in the tour um, just week in, week out. You, you would say they'd have more of an advantage than they will do going into this tournament. Um, so, yeah, I mean... We spoke about the winners and losers of it on our first podcast of the um, COVID-19 break in the season. And I think that that's going to be apparent, the way people are going to adapt and come back into tennis. Um, you know, form is pretty much going out the window. So it's, it's hard to say uh, where the rankings are going to really play a part. We definitely know that Andy Murray has that natural ability to go deep into the tournament. Um for me, it's just whether he can handle the five-set games physically. Um, but I think the uh, Western Southern Open, the um, what's replacing the Cincinnati Masters this year, is really going to be a good indicator uh, as to what we can expect for that. Yeah, of course. And, and as you mentioned, if he gets one of those seeded players as an early third round, uh, first round, like you say, with Zverev, because obviously it is possible with the ranking, even someone like a Djokovic, I reckon those sorts of players are really hoping that they don't get that draw in the first round because I do think Andy Murray in the first round of a Grand Slam could be a horrible draw for the some opponents at the US Open. I mean, obviously, he's won the US Open before first Grand Slam, so his motivation to play well is going to be sky high. Um, so, yeah. So, moving on to some other news from the tennis world, um, but looking more at our own country. Um, finishing on Sunday was the second tournament of the Battle of the Brits. We spoke about this last week. This was a, a mixed event with men and women's. There were men's singles, women's singles, uh, and some mixed doubles, um, with also some, some men's doubles as well. Um, and the British Bulldogs beat the Union Jack 63 points to 56. Um, so the na- main names on the British Bulldogs team were names like Kyle Edmund and Cameron Norrie from the men's side. So uh, on the last day of the tournament, uh, despite being behind the whole tournament, the Union Jacks got it back to 45 all going into the last day of the tournament. And... Andy Murray and Naomi Brody won a mixed doubles match to uh, set up a decider for the Union Jack. So it was whoever won out of Joe Salisbury and Harriet Dart playing for the British Bulldogs. Uh, They were playing against Andy Murray's brother, Jamie, and uh, Heather Watson. Uh, And Joe Salisbury and Harriet Dart beat them comfortably 6-4, 6-2 and won it for the British Bulldogs. So... That was how that was how that ended. Uh, Marcus, did you watch much of the British, uh, the Battle of the Brits? Um, you know what you saw of it. Did you like it? Did you think there was anything that could have been done better? Do you think it's got a future? 
Um, I think it definitely fits in perfectly for the times where we don't have any tennis. Um, I think we spoke about the, the first Battle of the Brits tournament and said that we would like to see it again just because it's you know it's a good feel-good tournament and um, it's good to see that the Brits playing against each other in, in good spirit. Um, it's all good how, how it came down to the last day. You know, it's quite entertaining, quite tense in the end. Um, and I, I did catch, catch some of it and... Um, you know, it was good to see that the uh, younger players, who perhaps you wouldn't usually see, um, get their chance to to play in front of front of the, the British spotlight. Really, I mean, you'd see some of them maybe make the first qualifying round of, of Wimbledon, and then that's it. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a good opportunity for them. One player I just wanted to highlight that thought had a good week. That, um, maybe we're not as enthusiastic about the rest of his year. Is Cameron Norrie, who won all four of his matches. Um, including one against uh, Dan Evans until the last game where unfortunately he retired um, against Evans uh, in, in, in his fifth match of the tournament. And um, so, yeah, it was a good week for him and hopefully he can he can recover from this little knock and uh, keep that form going as the year progresses. Obviously, we've spoke about Evans having one of the, well, a career season, really. Um, and uh, yeah, Norrie's a lot younger than him, so hopefully that's uh, some some he'll have some more good form that we can look forward to. Yeah, for sure, really good week uh, for Norrie. And uh, just as you say, he beat Evans there. I'm, I'm fairly sure I'm right in saying he actually beat Dan Evans twice, um, and they were set to play for a third time, um, which was when he withdrew injured. But yeah, I, I believe uh, Cameron Norrie beat Dan Evans twice as well as. Uh, Jan Choinsky and, and Ryan Penniston. Um, I think the standout result from the week still has to be that one from the opening day where uh, 21-year-old Jody Burridge uh, beat Joanna Conta, um, which was, you know, huge upset. Conta is a you know, Grand Slam semi-finalist. Pretty much all British fans would have heard of her as the best sort of women's player on, on uh, for our country. But um, yeah, no, Jodie Burridge winning that. And then, yeah, I think Norrie was also a standout player. Kyle Edmund only had one loss, which was to Dan Evans, I think he had about four other wins. Um, and yeah, just a quick shout out to um, Ryan Penniston, ranked, I think, just outside the top 500. And, and all of the singles players that he played were ranked, you know, two, three, 400 places ahead of him. Um, and he actually got a set off of every player that he played. He didn't win any of his matches, but he took Dan Evans and Kyle Edmonds, who were well-established top 100 players, he took them to three sets, which was really good for Ryan Penniston. Hopefully someone like Ryan, as you say, one of the, the more unheard of Brits, hopefully he can take that positive from the tournament and, and use it sort of when the ITF Tour and the Challenger Tour returns. Yeah, definitely. Um... Penniston's three nine three, so can't underestimate him too much. Um, but no, yeah, definitely a, an unknown player that's without winning a game. Sadly, as you know, has proven that he can compete with players uh, in the top one hundred in, in that week, and uh, he showed some good some good form taking a set off Edmund or Evans, I think it was in in the first battle of the British tournament. Um, so yeah, he's a name that we're going to be definitely looking out for, seeing how he gets on uh, as the season progresses. Yeah, I think that's two sets off of Dan Evans in two matches now uh, for Ryan Penniston. So really, really positive for him. I think 23 or 24 years of old. So definitely, um, you know, got a lot of time in his career to, to carry on improving. 
So uh, the next uh, piece of news we're going to look at, um, as touched upon earlier by Marcus, it's the uh, Western and Southern Open, which is the Cincinnati Masters. Um, the Western and Southern Open is the sort of official title for it, but it's normally known as Cincinnati Masters. But we're calling it Western and Southern Open this year because it's not being played in Cincinnati. It's being played at Flushing Meadows, as we discussed. Um, last week, it's going to begin on the 22nd of August. Qualifying starts on the 20th. Um, but where the news is uh, from the Western and Southern Open is they've announced the lineup, um, and there's some very big names. Uh, seven of the top eight are playing. The one missing, obviously, is Roger Federer because of the knee surgery that he's having. So you've got Djokovic, Nadal, Team, Medvedev, Sitsipas, Verev, and Berrettini all playing. Um, Marcus, what's your reaction to that? It's, you know, no one is, is wanting to miss this. They all want this warm-up to the US Open. And it's going to be a really elite field. Yeah, it's very, very encouraging seeing, seeing the lineup. Kind of, you know, wouldn't look out of place on the, on the tour without um, COVID. Just in, in, in the old normal times, you'd, you'd see a lineup like that. And, um, yeah, be very much looking forward to it. I mean, um, Federer isn't, isn't known anymore for playing in these sort of tour events um, all the time. So, yeah, very, very encouraging. You've got, yeah, the best players in the world pretty much on show. So, um, yeah, absolutely no complaints. Um, really excited for that. Um, hopefully we see players give it their all. There is a tendency to think they might be a bit hesitant, you know, get a little niggle and we might see some people retiring because they're saving themselves for the US Open, obviously happening so soon after it. But no, I'm really excited for that. It's a 1,000 event, so plenty of ranking points up for grabs for uh, some of the lower-ranked players. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm confident we should see some very good matches in that tournament. And also, Andy Murray getting the wild card just adds a little bit of spice into it as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, just I was going to come on to that uh, next. Andy Murray's received the wild card into the main draw. He was... Uh, originally asking for a wild card into qualifying, but obviously he doesn't need to do that now. Um, and Kyle Edmonds has been put into the main draw, replacing Nick Kyrgios after his withdrawal. So that will mean Andy Murray, Kyle Edmonds, and presumably Dan Evans will all be playing for the Brits. So definitely some British names you to look out of, and just some other names playing. And um, you've got really young talent: uh, Felix Auger Aliassim, Andre Rublev, Karen Kashinov. Uh, or Hatchinov, I should say, uh, playing, both both Russian players. Um, but a really interesting name mentioned here, I don't know if you'd seen this, Marcus, but um, Grigor Dimitrov has been announced in the lineup, and he actually gave an interview just a couple of weeks ago saying um, how much of a, a bad impact uh, COVID-19 has had on him. He obviously got affected following the Adria tour, and he said just a few weeks back that he still didn't feel brilliant, and he'd spent pretty much four weeks in bed, uh, so not been the best preparation for him, but that's really good to see that he's in the draw and, and you know, hopefully we can see some good stuff from him. Yeah, definitely a player that I was used to have a very soft spot for, Grigor Dimitrov, um, but no, yeah, to see that he's confident enough after coming down with the virus and and beating the virus that he can um, come back and, and, and play some events like this is a very positive sign for tennis. Um, obviously, we hope that there aren't many more cases like him. 
Um, but no, yeah, it's definitely good to see Grigor back, you know. Even when he, he hasn't been on top of his game in the last couple of years, still still entertaining to watch, you know. He can, you know, live with the best uh, from the back of the court. And um, yeah, no, Dimitrov definitely... I suppose you talk about Andy Murray with someone who could end up going deep into the US Open just because of, well, his ceiling, his, his, uh, his peak level and um, what, what he's shown he can do in his career. I mean, you can argue that Grigor Dimitrov goes into that category slightly as well. Um, obviously, having won the, the ATP Tour Finals uh, uh, three years ago, three, four years ago, I think. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely good to see him. Um, recover from the virus and uh, show that hunger, hunger for tennis once again. Yeah, and it's important to mention actually, Grigor Dimitrov won this tournament, uh, the Cincinnati Masters, when it was played in the Cincinnati. He won it in 2017. Um, so he's actually former champion. Um, so, yeah, you know, depending on how the draw goes, we'll wait and see for that. But um, he might be able to have a run. That'd be really encouraging considering the, the problems he had with the virus. Um, just looking quickly at last time out, uh, Andre, uh, Daniel Medvedev uh, won the tournament. He beat David Goffin in the final, but he came back from a set down against Djokovic in the quarterfinal. Um, so that was a, a really big breakthrough win, uh, sort of breakthrough period for Medvedev uh, this time last year. He'd got to the final of the Rogers Cup the week before, which is also a Masters tournament. Uh, got absolutely smashed in the final by Nadal, but um, he he recovered really well the next week and um, yeah won this tournament. Uh, so yeah, just the the last piece of news um, from the tennis world is that the women's tour uh, has got back underway. Obviously, the men's tour was supposed to get underway I think next week, but Washington was cancelled. But um. Women's Tour is still going ahead. That's at the Palermo Open in Italy. Um, but the big news before that was that uh, one unnamed player uh, has had to withdraw because they had a positive coronavirus test uh, prior to the tournament. Um, but so far, it, it has gone ahead. It started yesterday uh, and so far it's going good. Um the 15th player in the world, Petra Martic, is the number one seed. So interestingly, um, it's a much weaker lineup on the women's side than the first tournament back from the men's side is. Um, and the third seed, Maria Sakari, is uh, already out. She lost to um, Christina Pliskova, who's the lower ranked of the two Pliskova sisters. But um, yeah, if you're wanting to watch some, some tennis, the Palermo Open is on this week and the women's tour is, is back properly. So, um, yeah, that's really good news to hear that that's all going well in Palermo and and looks like the one positive case they has hasn't uh, caused a, a major issue. For the next segment of the pod, just to mix it up a bit, I'm going to do my up-and-coming player just to profile a, a sort of young gun that you guys can look out for in the weeks to come and then uh, Michael's going to hit me with a bit of uh, trivia, see see how alert I am this morning. Um, so the player that I've, I've got as a, noted down as an up-and-coming player to definitely monitor closely over the next few years is a player who I don't think really gets the plaudits or the, or the publicity as some of the other younger players who are as high-ranked as he is do on the tour. 
Um, it's Hubert Herkash of Poland. Uh, he's 23 years old, so a little bit older than Yashapovalov, your Felix Auger, Lee, it seems. Um, but still, still very, very, uh, has proven himself on the tour. And uh, you can definitely see him breaking, I, I can see him breaking into the top 10 in the future, definitely. Um, I said he's 29 in the world. His career high is only 28. So he's more or less at the best point in his career uh, that he ever has been. Um, he's not had a great success at Grand Slam so far. His best is in the third round. Um, however, he demonstrated very early on this season at ATP Cup, the inaugural ATP Cup that happened uh, at the, in, in January, where he beat Dominic Team, Borna Chorich, and Diego Schwartzman, all players that um, have been, in, well, team obviously three in the world and could possibly push push higher before the end of the year, uh, is out and Chorich and Schwartzman have been familiar with the top 15 in recent years. But I feel like he's just a player that's on the fringes, sort of yet to make that leap where he goes really deep in the tournament, say he makes the Western Southern Open final or something like that, just to push his ranking up into into that top 20. And I feel like then then people will be talking about him uh, sort of every week. Um, he's definitely got the ability for me, you know, great ball striking, quite a tall and slim, sort of not dissimilar to a Sasha Zverev build, maybe a bit less, uh, bit less striking of how tall and thin he is. Um, but yeah, definitely got the power, got the game, got the movement on court. Um, so yeah, Hubert Hercash, just definitely someone to keep an eye on. And uh, yeah, if he can, if he can hit the ground running, definitely someone that could pose a threat to some players, some big players at, at, at the Western Southern Open and the US. Yeah, definitely. Hercash uh, is definitely one of those players, like you say, who's not um, stormed in, in any tournaments and, and taken the tennis world um, all of a sudden and got everyone's attention on him. But his progression has just sort of been very steady. And I do think he, he's shown some consistency. And I think that as a young gun is really important because we've got, we have so many young players uh, that we see, you know, if we talk about people like Grigor Dimitrov um, when he was a young gun and first came up, you know, we saw these really standout performance from him. Um, but we would also see him sort of going out of a couple of tournaments first round the next week. Um, we've seen that at times with team, although he's got a lot better with it. And yeah, her cash just sort of seems like a very steady player and I think can definitely become a, a solid sort of top 15, 10 player, as, as you say. Um, so yeah, I'm going to just go on for a little bit of trivia for Marcus. Um, just got two bits of trivia. Uh, the first one, similar to last week, I asked you to order um, some players in their current ranking. This one, I'm going to ask you to order them in uh, order of their highest ever ranking. Um, now, it's quite, there's not a lot between... Uh, there's four of them, actually, and there's not a lot between them. But I'll give you the four names. Uh, so you've got Gal Monfils, Grigor Dimitrov, David Goffin, and Stefanos Tsitsipas. Oh, I like this one. Right. Yeah, this is this is a really good question. Um, so, so I think Monfils and Goffin will be similar because it's it's sort of just entering the top ten. Um, so last, I'll go with Goffin. You have got Goffin correct in last. Okay, um, so that make Monfils. I, I, 
Third. Okay, yeah, that's correct. Do you want me to give you the positions that they got? Which are... Yeah, go for it. Okay, so David Goffin uh, has a career high of seventh, uh, which was November 2017, and Gal Monfils has a career high of sixth, which was in November 2016. Okay, that's higher than I thought. I would have thought it was sort of nine and eight or something like that. Um, then you got Sitsipas and Dimitrov. Right, I think one of them would have got to four and the other was maybe five. Uh, they've both won the tour final, so that's probably their big push into the sort of top four. Maybe did Dimitrov get three? Well, because Federer really fell down before he won that Australian Open. Um, that's like a world number 16 or 18 or something like that. So I'm going to go... I reckon Dimitrov might have got up to three or four, so I'm going to go Sitsipas second, Dimitrov first. You absolutely nailed it. Well done. Uh, Sitsipas has a career high of five, uh, which was August last year. Um, and Dimitrov actually has a career high of three. Uh, as you say, November 2017, which I think was just after he'd won the finals. Um, but I think, yeah, what you have to remember there is since Sitsipas has been at the top of his game, You've also had players like Djokovic, Nadal and Federer all sort of at the top of their game as well. Whereas, you know, around sort of 2017, obviously not taking it away from Dimitrov at all, but um, players like Federer slipped a little bit. Nadal had a few injury problems. Um, Djokovic was out of form a little bit around uh, sort of 2016-17 at times. So, um, yeah, Grigor Dimitrov uh, had a career high of three. So the order... From lowest to highest, as you said, was Goffin, Monfils, Tsitsipas and Dimitrov. So very well done, Marcus. Um, The next question, if you know this off the top of your head, fair play. Otherwise, it might be a little bit of guesswork. Uh, In what year did Novak Djokovic win his first Grand Slam? That's a good one. I'm pretty sure it was an Australian Open. He beat Songa in the final. Sounds about right to me. Yeah, yeah. The year is going to be guesswork, I'm afraid. Uh, 2010. You are a little bit late. Uh, you're a little bit late. Do you want to have another go? 2008. Correct. 2008. Uh, he won the Australian Open, but he didn't win another one. Uh, until 2011, I believe, when I was looking this up. Um, he won the Australian again in 2011, three years later, and then he won, I think he won Wimbledon and the US that year as well. So 2011 was really the first year that he dominated. But yeah, his first Grand Slam came at the 2008 Australian Open final. And yes, I believe it was Songa that he beat in the final. Because um, that's Songa's only Grand Slam final up. I had it in my head that Songa lost to Nadal in his Grand Slam final, but I think you're right. I think it was Djokovic. Uh, yeah, so back yeah. in those days, I thought the uh, Andy Murray-Djokovic rivalry might go the other way and Murray would be the one with sort of teams, well, 15 or more Grand Slams and Djokovic would be the one with just three. But Yeah, it's very true. Djokovic did spend a little while at the beginning of his career sort of as a a fringe player on the edge of your Nadal and Federer. And I remember when I was little, I always sort of, for me, he was always that sort of, not the best of the rest, but he was definitely that guy who was really trying to get in. But yeah, a few years on, well, quite a few years on, uh, Djokovic is very, 
very likely uh, to overtake Federer. I think it's just two more Grand Slams he's off Federer now, possibly three. Um, and I'm not sure Federer is going to be getting another one. So I think Nadal and Djokovic definitely could overtake uh, Roger. Okay, so we're going to move on to our weekly ending, uh, which is guess the player. Um, bit of fun. It's five clues. We both find a player. Fingers crossed we haven't got the same player. Um, I can't remember who started last week, Marcus. Do you want me to give you the one first? That's right. You can guess first because I, okay. I, no I, I like my one when I was putting it together. I think, um, yeah. You've got an urge to say it. Right. First clue. 34 years of age. 34 years of age. Okay. So a player that's been about a while. It's quite a few of them. Uh, we'll go for... Uh, Fabio Fanini. Good guess, but no. His career high is 32 in the world. Okay, 32. So I know Fanini's been, I'm not sure if Fanini's been top 10, but he's definitely been a lot higher than that. Uh, 32. I don't think this player's as old as 34. No, I won't, I won't say Chechenato. No, he's definitely not that old. Uh, and he's he's been higher than thirty two actually. I'm sure he's been he's been yeah yeah. After he got yeah. to that semi, was it French Open? Yeah, yeah. He beat uh, Djokovic at the French. Um, okay, ground thirty two. I think Andrasepi's probably been a bit higher. I don't know why I think it's going to be Italian. I think you were sort of you were giving me a bit of a clue at the beginning that uh, it was one from quite a country where there's quite a few players from. Could, that could be France as well. Uh, we'll go... I don't think he's this old, but I'll go Thomas Fabiano. Nah, he's younger than that. No, I don't think he's anywhere near 32 in the world. Yeah. Um third clue so you got 34 year old career high 32 his best at a grand slam is making the US Open fourth round in 2019 oh 2019 so it's only last year um what happened to the US last year Nadal beat Medvedev in the final um in I think five sets or was it four sets can't remember um not relevant um, could be an American then. The Americans do tend to go on decent runs at the US. Um, oh, I'm such a minor. Right, 34 years old, 32nd in the world, fourth round of the US last year. Let's go to Jeremy Shardy. Good effort, but no. Probably a similar age. Um, my fourth clue is he's currently world number 53. Okay. Um, right, that doesn't really give me much. Uh, we'll stick on a similar line to Jeremy Shardy. Um 
the only player that I've eaten in the same restaurant as at the same time. Um, I don't think we actually saw him get his food, so I don't think you can say <laughs> at the same time. True. Oh, I'm sure he's been higher than this, but we'll go Pablo Carreno Gusta. Yeah, he's been higher. He's a lot younger as well, I think. Um, I don't know. I think I think Carreno Gusta could be nearing thirties at least. Well, late twenties probably. Uh, so we've got thir- the final clue. I'll read the first four out first. He's got thirty-four years old, career high thirty-two, best at Grand Slam, U.S. Open, fourth round, twenty nineteen, current world number fifty-three. Final clue, he's Spanish. Okay, Spanish, right. So it's not going to be Bautista Agut because he's done better at Grand Slam. He got to the semi of Wimbledon. Uh, Fernando Vadasco has been... And he's been higher than 32. Um, obviously, it's not Creno Buster. 32. Oh, it's been so long since tennis has been on. I'm just forgetting who everyone is. Um, I've got a bonus clue. Go on then. James Ward has beaten him at Wimbledon. Oh. James Ward won a match at Wimbledon. Um, he's probably won a few, to be fair. Uh, okay. So potentially not a player that suited to grass, maybe more of a clay court player. Um, and while most of the Spaniards are, I'm having complete mind blank on Spanish players. Don't worry. It's not going to be, well, obviously, he's much younger. Um, Jimeno Traver is not going to be ranked 53rd in the world. And I don't think he's doing <laughs> No, it's not Daniel Jimeno Traver. <laughs> Um, ah, there was, wasn't there that? Ah, um, is he 34? Well, it makes sense. He's, I reckon he, I thought he'd probably been a bit higher than 32. But I don't remember him doing that one at Grand Slams. And I, yeah, James will be. Is it Albert Ramos Vinolas? Good effort, but no. No. Damn. That's that's your lot, mate, I'm afraid. Yeah. It's Pablo Anderhar. Ah, Pablo Anderhar. Okay, that's a good one. You know, he's been very sort of in and out of the sort of scene. He he was it surprises me he only got to thirty two actually. I would have thought Anderhar had got a little bit higher and then he disappeared for a little bit and he He's come back. So um, Yeah, the one that shocked me the most was getting to the fourth round of the US Open last year. That completely slipped my mind. Yeah, I'm not really sure if that was ever on my mind. Um, yeah, okay. That, very good one. Unfortunately, the guess the player I've got for you, I think, is a little bit easier. Um, not that I'm making up excuses for me getting it wrong, but there's not really any excuses. Not going to get this one. Clue one, though. Um, a bit tricky. I was born in Germany, but this is not the country that I compete for. So, German birth, but doesn't play for them. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't really know about birthplaces and people that don't represent it. So, 
absolute guess, Donald Young. Oh my God, you're right. No, not really. Uh, not Donald Young. Uh, second clue. I have won four ATP Tour titles, the most recent in 2018, and all four were on a hard court. So a few clues in there for you. Okay. Last title in 2018, four titles in total, and they're all on a hard court. Is it Mr. Leonardo Mayer? It is not Mr. Leonardo Mayer. I reckon he may have got a title on clay, maybe. I'm not sure. But yeah, possibly not. Um, Okay, question number three. You could get it here. Uh, I have been as high as 16th in the world, but I am now ranked outside the world's top 200. Oh, come on. Um, well, he's won titles in the last couple of years. Been I don't think that's too hard. Yeah. So someone has got injured, probably. So he won a title in 2018. It's just falling away. Right. <laughs> I feel like I've got to wait for these late clues to get this one. Um... Four titles on a hard court. Yeah, the outside top 200. Has been 16th in the world. No, I'm stumped. Pass. Oh, I'm not even going to guess. Okay. Uh, well, you should certainly get... Well, I think I, I think you'll get it on clue four. If not, definitely clue five. Uh, clue four, I made the Wimbledon quarterfinals in 2011 as a teenager. So if he's a teenager in 2011, he's now still in his 20s, despite fading away a lot from the top, well, 16th. That doesn't give it away at all. I don't know. I think you, I, I think you should probably know that he got to a Wimbledon quarterfinal because it is quite... To think, this is probably a little bit of a help, but to think back to it now, it's quite funny. That I think might help. Is it Vasek Pospisil? It's not, but uh, it's a good idea. You're thinking of someone who was doing really well as a teenager and, and hasn't quite got to where they were expected to. But clue number five: no excuses for not getting here. I'm an Aussie. So if I just round it up, born in Germany, um, has won four titles, but they're all on hard court, uh, been the highest 16th in the world, made the Wimbledon quarterfinals when they were a teenager, so big teenage prospect, uh, I'm an Australian. Ah, oh, of course. Bernard Tomic. Correct, correct, yeah. Now I thought, um, I thought you might remember him getting to, I think he was only 18 when he made the quarterfinals, and that is still to this day the furthest he's ever got in a Grand Slam. Yeah, no, I do remember him. A lot of people were talking about him and then he just sort of stopped enjoying it, basically. and rage quit tennis. Okay, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Tennis Fanalyst podcast. Um, It's only a few weeks now until we should have some live men's tennis to watch. There is, as I say, live women's tennis to watch um, at the Palermo Open on your TV screens this week. So definitely give that a watch if you're missing competitive 
Tennis, thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you, Marcus, for joining me. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be back next week, where I'm sure there'll be lots more news uh, regarding the situation around the Cincinnati Masters and the US Open. Thank you very much, and have a good week. <laughs>